0: Hi, I'm Jeff Albert, director of the School of Music Industry at Loyola University in New Orleans, and you're listening to our Forum Series, a weekly meeting between our students, music executives, recording artists, faculty, and alumni, where we spotlight industry professionals and discuss important issues shaping the business. On our Forum this week, Alex Rawls of MySpiltMilk.com interviews the production duo known as Swaggernaughts. I met Alex a long time ago because he was uh, one of the music writers in town who I was trying to get him to write about my stuff. Um, he was the editor at Offbeat for a while. Before that he was the music editor at Gambit. He runs the website My Spilt Milk now. I think some of you have probably worked for him. Um, and he's I think one of the the more perceptive music writers in town. He, he's got a really Uh, a way of getting to understanding the things that we're trying to do. So I think you're in for a treat um, with Alex getting into the music of the Swaggernauts. So please welcome Alex Rawls. All right, thank
1: y'all. And uh, go ahead and bring up, I wanna bring up Giovanni Barreto and Tat Tong, Swaggernauts. So I'll tell you where this came from, and we'll get this started here. That Giovanni and I go back a while, and I recently saw uh, on Facebook that he was talking about his project Swaggernauts, a production, songwriting, et cetera duo that were, and, uh, and as you can see up here, a short bio. And what interested me, and the reason that we had a conversation, I was interested because on one hand, that they're selling, having hits around the world, but they're hits with artists that you don't necessarily know here. And I'm fascinated by international music and international pop particularly. I was just thinking during the Super Bowl that the audiences, uh, that people watching Shakira were having a very different experience. Because if you were only connected to American pop, Shakira's career kind of runs from like 2001 to Zootopia. Before that, nothing. After that, nothing. In fact, her career, her first hit is 1990, 1997, and she's still charting now. So in America, she's got about a nine-year career, two or, three, two or three big pop hits, largely a celebrity. If you're a fan of Latin pop, she's massive and a hit maker. And I thought that was a really interesting dichotomy to think about, how big you can be in one audience and not be known at all by another. And in the case of Tat and uh, Giovanni, they're having a career that's making massive hits around the world, but not here. And I thought, that's the thing that we need to think more about, that there, are, that there's a, that there is a career outside of North America. There's a career outside of English-speaking places. And so I thought this is, and when I, we finished an interview, I've got a story that's gonna be coming out in the next two or three days with uh, Tat and Giovanni. But as soon as I finished the interview, I called Michael and said, I think this is actually a good forum thing because there's a good chance as people interested in, the mu- in music business, there's a music business that's not at our front door that's well worth thinking about it. We're thinking about where our careers either can go and possibly where they should be going, because the bottom line is demographics and economic shifts really favor international markets. I mean, you think now about, uh, about movies, the degree to which, because of the growth of China as a market, the degree to which movies have now changed because of, success, because of how big that market is and will be. Uh, Pacific Rim movies are made because there is a Chinese audience. Uh, and so anyway, that y'all have had this, or I've been working with K-pop, J-pop, C-pop, Latin pop, and I thought this is, I think we should have a conversation. So, Tat and Giovanni, welcome to Forum.
2: Thank you, Alex. Thanks, guys, for having us. Thank you very much.
1: Thank y'all so much. So I'll tell you what I thought we'd do, is I'll start the ball rolling, start with a few minutes of questions, and then we'll go to y'all and start, I want y'all to be able to jump in, and obviously this is your forum, I want you to get as much out of this as we can. But I thought we'd start, jo- we'll get to Giovanni in a moment. I, that Giovanni story I know a little better, but Tat, uh, kind of give me the short version of how we get from Singapore to LA and uh, and producing music.
3: Sure, so I, uh, I've i kind of been shuttling like in the middle for most of my life. I. Uh, I grew up in Singapore, but I went to school um, at Cornell University, which is upstate New York, uh, next to a big music conservatory, uh, Ithaca Ithaca College. But, um, you know, so that was kind of like my formative musical years here in America. And uh, after that, you know, like I went home, I did some other things, but I've, you know, I always loved music, and then I started just making music. And in Singapore, the dominant music markets are, Uh, music in Chinese and Mandarin, and music in Malay. So uh, I speak Mandarin, and so I just started, you know, doing that. And after a few hits, Universal was like, hey, you should consider America. So in 2012, I came here, and then I met this guy on the internet, and then we formed a team. And then since then, it's just been everywhere in the world.
1: Yeah. And Giovanni. Now, your story is a difference. Giovanni is from Harvey.
2: Yeah, local boy. Um, We got New Orleans folks. Harvey. Yeah. Um, so you want to
1: do a quick version of your story?
2: Sure, sure, sure. Uh, grew up uh, in Harvey, Louisiana. Um, you know, did a lot of, like, you know, probably like you guys as well, singing, you know, in cotton school and high school and everything. And um, I never really kind of, you know, took music serious until, um, you know, I, I was on American Idol. Um, and I was uh, 2010. I wrote songs in my bedroom and stuff. I've, you know, all that. So American Idol came, you know, kind of really changed the trajectory of kind of where I thought I could be in music, so I gave it a shot. I started working with this guy as my producer, a good buddy of ours, uh, connected us, and it just kind of went from there, it took off. So that's the short version of where I am. So I
1: don't want to dwell a lot on on American Idol, but I do have to ask, because one of the things, whenever I would watch Idol, especially when you watch the first weeks, you watch the tryouts, I'm always wondering who, why, why someone, do, why someone, uh, tries out because it's like thinking, and in some case you're wondering who made this person think they could sing. But also you just know when they show you the, the mass of people, which I fully believe are out there, what makes someone think this
2: is something that I could or should do? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? Like. There's so many different path, you know, paths to success, and there's, you know, everybody's got their different paths. So, you know, in my case, you know, American Idol was coming to New Orleans, and I had, you know, no, you know, no want to do it. My sister kind of pushed me to do it, and it just kind of changed, man. Like, you know, my sister's an amazing singer as well, you know, and so I made it, you know, to pass one round, pass another one, pass another one, and I realized that was there was something there. But, dude, to be honest with you, like, you know, some people. They go and they try so hard to make it on this show. That's like, at the end of the day, it doesn't like really matter. I guess what matters is if you continue to, you know, push forward with your career. So I was one of the fortunate ones. Um, you know, I, I kind of got a little far, and, and it kind of springboarded my my career. But you know, ultimately, man, like, you know, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> well, you had an, an interesting experience that because when
1: you started trying to. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you started trying to pursue a career on your own after Idol, that you found that people looked at somebody who'd been on Idol kind of as somebody who'd tried to, like, jump cut to the front of the line. Yeah,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. for sure, for sure. Like, that's one of the big things that you deal with in the industry, right? So, like, you go on this, you know, this talent show, and, like, all of a sudden, like, once you get off and, you you know, you hit the, you know, you hit the ground running, and you start trying to, you know, pound the pavement and do the things you have to do in the industry, you find, like, very quickly that people look at it and say, like, oh, you know, this guy didn't pay his dues. You know, this guy needs to, you know, do, you know, what we did, you know. And so I did that, man. You know, once we kind of, you know, got off idle, I moved to L.A. And I just started, like, doing, you know, every writing session that I could. I started working with all the producers, all the writers, just hustling. I would, you know, take, you know, meetings and interviews and all that stuff that I could and pay my dues like everybody else, man. Yeah, yeah. So... So, a last
1: thought from this. So, you one of the questions I was thinking about was when you finished Idol, even when you went on Idol, you knew you could sing, but did you know who you were as an artist yet?
2: Nah, man, I didn't. You know, I didn't. And I feel like a lot of people are still, You know, they're always trying to find it, right? And so, um, in that particular moment, I knew that I knew how to sing, and and I loved that aspect, but I didn't necessarily know. Like the style or you know those things that i wanted to do and and I, I credit like i still have a special place in my heart for idol because what it did do is it kind of opened the door you know for, to make me realize that like writing production um you know music business like the other side of the music industry that doesn't have anything to do with the actual stage um you know i fell in love with that side you know and so through that i had you know the opportunity to meet this guy who's become a brother we've been working together for like almost 10 years and it's just been spectacular. So yeah, yeah I'll tell
1: you the reason I asked that question. To me, that's I always think that's such a big deal, especially when I run it when I see artists who are in the process of sort of start of of, of getting started or even a few years into their career, is that there's a real difference between what you can do and what you should do. And uh, and I know that there was that there was a woman who's who's no longer in town, who had like a 15 year run playing in New Orleans. And over the course of that time, her music changed and changed and changed. And the thing was, she found an audience every time. And she was really a, a really good singer, a great performer, someone who really engaged people. But you, it wasn't until the last phase that you hear heard the music that was clearly the music that only she could make, and the music that expressed something specific to her Whereas everything else had a little bit of an off-the-rack quality and she, could, she was strong enough as a performer, strong enough as a talent to make it feel like it really was her. But if you stepped away from it or you looked at the words on the page, you realize that's, that's not anybody or that's everybody. Um, and so I just think that's a thing, an important thing to think through. As you, as, you, as you go forward is like, not just what can you do, but what should you do? All right, so you're, you're, how did you start getting into both J-pop, K-pop, C-pop?
3: Right, so, um, Pop. so again, long story short, um, the Singapore Navy paid for my education at Cornell, very grateful to them, but the flip of that was I had to do six years so I was, uh, I was in there, and I wasn't really having a great time until music became my outlet. I uploaded some of that stuff to a random music forum. Not the kind of music forum that claims to get you discovered, just literally a random forum. And then I got a call from a local publisher, and then I got signed. And then I got my platform.
1: <laughs> yeah, so don't pass up, other, other lesson today, don't pass up chances.
3: Yep, so that, that publisher became Universal after three years, and then Universal brought me over here. Okay. And then, yeah, and then I met him.
1: So, can you tell us why K-pop is so happening now?
3: Wow, I mean, as with all things, I mean, we think it's an overnight success, right? Everything looks overnight, but it's really like, it's 10 years, it's 20 years, you know, and before BTS, you know, there were so many other, there was Girls' Generation, before Girls' Generation, et cetera, et cetera, I mean, you can go back, like across literally 20 or 25 years with K-pop. It's a fascinating, fascinating ev- evolution. But I think as of right now, K-pop is, it's kind of, it's become its own thing by blending influences from all around the world. And I think what ties it all together is two things, like the amazing visual, like the military precision dances and everything, the, the colors and the fashion and all that. And also like the, the K-pop fandom. The culture of that fandom is what really propels these artists forward because the fans are so obsessive, they're so devoted. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I was, I was fascinated. I was in, uh, in Los Angeles uh, around uh, Thanksgiving last year and I was, uh, went in the, uh, a K-pop record store. And it was awesome. It was like I knew nothing. I couldn't even, couldn't even tell by looking, at, a, looking at, at, at records, first off, what I was looking at. But I love that everything was such a, an elaborate package, and I love that that everything about this was absolutely designed to be to be was designed to be amazing. Um, and we were talking because I, I used to like J-pop, and when you were talking as when we interviewed about the difference between J-pop and K-pop, and I think that's kind of helps to talk about why K-pop has become so big.
3: Um, I think. K pop was designed uh, from the start looking outward, whereas J pop, it was really like by Japanese for Japanese, because Japan is still, was and still is a huge music market. It's still number two in the world. It probably will continue to be for another few years before China finally catches up. And so I think that therein lies the difference. You know, J pops, like foreign fans, are incidental, whereas K pops, like foreign fans, are all part of the plan.
1: Yeah, I was looking before we came in here, and I was looking at, at a sort of chart of the growth of K-pop as in as a sort of as a as a uh, in terms of audience uh, in North America, and how you really see like around 2002 or 2003 that the curve suddenly start, really starts to starts to turn up, and uh, and I was thinking, and I, I can't think, you know, uh, Gangnam Style is 2012. And I was trying to think of major, uh, you know, of major uh, international hits in foreign language, foreign language hits, before Gangnam Style. Certainly I can't think of any K-pop or, or any... In, in.
3: Not to that extent. I mean, a year ago before that, I think Girls' Generation had, I got a boy, which was huge as well, but more, maybe more huge amongst K-pop. But... Gangnam because of the silly dance just yeah. became a pop culture moment even here. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and 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 it's, it's interesting that in 2012 that sort of, that really hit as much as a novelties record, and as much as a novelty video as it did as an actual sort of pop thing. But also because it was a pop phenomenon. And you talk about the the audience. And I think that actually because I know about 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 two or three weeks after it came out, my wife and I spent about an hour just watching. People's homemade, um, homemade uh, Gangnam Style remakes, where people had found ways to do their own home video, lip-syncing to Gangnam Style, and saw one where some people had done one in Mall of America, and like filming their their sh- the shots from Gangnam Style, in the Mall of America, in people's houses, in parks, and just that, and it was really clear that not only had the, the song wasn't just a song. The song was something that so many people felt like they had a connection to, that they may started doing their own versions. So I'm gonna ask one more question, and then I'm gonna go to y'all. So if you have something you want to talk about international market, about Latin or can or uh, or Asian pop, we can go that way, or about production songwriting. But y'all ha- y'all did y'all got a piece of the Despacito money. Yeah, so
3: a tiny very piece. small piece. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: So you did the version of Despacito, the Mandarin version of Despacito, with Luis Fonsi and J.J. Lin, right? So, you can you tell me the story of how y'all got involved
2: with uh, Despacito? Yeah. Um, so it's one of those interesting stories where kind of you know the dots just kind of align. So, you know, we worked. Um, we were in uh, Taiwan and we were working with you know. Lee Home was a big Chinese act, and JJ as well. And um, when we'd gotten back, um, Tad and I, are, actually, it was before then, right? Yeah. So, like, right before we actually went out there, so we were um, we were talking about uh, the fact that we had worked with JJ and that we had, you know, good relationship with fonsi We'd done some stuff. We wrote a couple records for him on his last album. Um, we were like, hey, man, you know, wouldn't it be a good idea to kind of have, you know, JJ, who's such a huge act in China, and Luis fonsi get together for this record? And I mean, I was like, yeah, yeah, but I mean, how's that going to happen? And we were just like, I'm going to text him. <laughs> and so that's what we did, man. So uh, we text JJ and we text Fonsi. And we said, hey, look, you guys need to do this. And they were game. So we flew down to Miami, recorded uh, Fonsi in Mandarin, um, and, and yeah.
3: Yeah, and then uh, JJ, as usual, because he is very much um, self-contained as an artist, he does everything. Uh, he recorded his own vocals in Taiwan because we weren't there, and then he sent them over. And so that was his first time singing in Spanish, and that was also Fonsi's first time singing in Mandarin. And then we just kind of pieced it all together, all the files in the DAW, and then we, make it, we made it work.
2: So tell me about the experience of, of getting, did y'all have to help Fonsi learn? To Surprisingly, man- no, man. Like, yeah, I mean, all right, so Mandarin is, like a, is a hard language to sing, right? But Fonsi's, like, amazing. When it comes to, he's like, you know, he went to school, he went to Florida State, if I'm not mistaken, you know, vocal training, amazing. And so um, it took like, it was like that, man. He was amazing, amazing vocalist. So, yeah, yeah. So were there any sort of
1: cultural issues y'all had to deal with or bridge when working on that?
3: Yes. So um, just uh, to put it very bluntly, um, JJ wanted to tone down the sex and turn up the love. So um, yeah, so the song, the parts of it in Mandarin, it became a Mandarin and Spanish hybrid, but the Mandarin lyrics uh, curved the, the intent of the record from slowly I want to get you into bed to slowly I want to you know, fall in love with you, get to know you, take you out to dinner, all that good stuff.
1: Excellent. <laughs> all right, do we have any questions?
4: Compared to the United States, how do you keep track of all of it because I know it probably gets very confusing when you're so popular internationally.
2: That's the the benefits of having a publishing company. To <laughs> be honest with you, they they collect a lot of that. Um, I mean it's good to know, you know, it's good to know different markets like, you know, as producers, we know that there are like certain, you know, I guess like thresholds for budget on the production end. Um, you know, and royalties some Countries don't collect too well. Um, they have some countries that are catching up. You just have to be, you know, be prepared and be aware of that. Um, but a, a publisher, would, you know, usually handle are that. there places where it's hard? Where are there are there pl-
1: places that you deal with that are harder to be sure that you're actually going to get paid?
3: Yes, I mean, I would <laughs> say that good royalty collection is the exception rather than the norm. I would say that in general, the first world countries do a better job and then the third world countries don't do as good a job. And And that's how it is.
2: Yeah, and it's good to like, it's good to like cross reference with friends. So for example, like, um, you know, performance rights organizations here in the States are ASCAP, CSAC, you know, BMI, um, you know, and so those are other, like that's besides uh, publishing, but you know, those are ones that you can go in and, and, um, you know, cross reference with those folks on your collections and the way that the other people are collecting.
4: Hey, I'm Lisa, I want to say thank you for coming. And also, West Bank is the best bank. <laughs> but um, besides that, I have a personal question. How did y'all meet and why, you, why did you two decide to work together?
3: Okay, uh, so how do we meet? Uh, we met on the internet through Facebook. Uh, there, was a, there was a guy called Jimmy, one of our very dear friends, mutual friend. Um, he was uh, actually managing Giovanni Fresh of Vital. Shout out, Jimmy. And uh, so uh, I, I was sitting right next to him at a conference in Hollywood. And so we got acquainted. And then he was like, yo, I have this artist, Giovanni. Do you want to work with him? And, and so at that point, I was contemplating the move to America. And so I was like, yeah, sure, of course. And so we linked up on Facebook. And then we started working together, but not exclusively. And then, um, you know, as producer uh, and artist. And then uh, there was a point where we were like, okay, actually, the creative chemistry is really pretty Dan good. And um, and then there was a session, actually, that Giovanni managed to get with this guy called Blackout, who produced uh, Nicki Minaj's Pink Friday album.
2: And yeah, he's, a, he's a killer. He's doing a lot of big things. Look uh, him up.
3: So he's based out in Miami. And so Giovanni was like, hey, I have a few days in the studio with this guy. Do you want to come along? I was like, of course, man. I'm grateful. Sure. You know, at that point, I was really like, I, I wanted every opportunity I could get. S- and and it was really great working with him. So I bought my ticket to Miami and then we were in the studio with Black Ops 3 days. We were writing a, a whole ton of songs. He was popping, popping like in and out of the studio. And on the second day he turned to us and listened to our song. I was like, "Yo, do you guys ever write a bad song?" And then we kind of looked at each other and that was kind of it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> while we're waiting for the next while I'm walking to the next hand, I'm going to sneak one in. Um, you mentioned the K-pop thing being largely around, like, how that fan base is built and the fandom of that. Are there things we could do in other scenes
2: to try to tap into that? Can I... Can I? It's about culture, right? Like, I think that was, like, the you know, one of the main points. Like, yeah, K-pop's done a good job of kind of taking, you know, like, different genres and kind of, you know, formulating it into this, like, really polished, clean thing, right? But ultimately, it's been the culture, right? And, like... You know, specifically, I'm a Louisiana, but I'm a, you know, West Bank, New Orleans bred guy, you know, and there's so much culture here. It's ridiculous. Right. And so everybody remembers from the '99 and the two thousand. Right. No limit. And, you know, cash money and all that stuff. Right. Big movement. Um, I honestly feel like everything's cyclical. Right. And I feel like there's another big movement coming over here. Um, and so it's just all about the culture, embracing the culture, and everybody that's here, you guys, and the people in the city, you know, really kind of, you know, being the champion of that culture. People are going to accept it if, if people are rocking with it and to believe it. And so, like, K-pop's good at that, um, and, you know, cultures that have, you know, made it in the past before.
0: Um, I'm just curious about the transition between realizing that music is something that you want to do and getting into songwriting sessions and you know working with the people that you want to work with
3: so how, how to transition from it being a hobby or a love to being something you can actually start making productive steps um, to get into um, well I think uh, it's very important to be based somewhere where stuff happens you know that's why Joe and I both moved to, to LA he's now you know traveling a lot more but um, you know, that's initially, at least, it was really important for us to, to do that. Uh, and then, you know, just to be unafraid to go out and meet a lot of people and shake a lot of hands and make a lot of friends.
2: And I, Can I be the, okay, so definitely, like, like 100% real talk, like, you know, I went to L.A. and there was just so many people doing it, like, literally every street corner there was somebody, and that's cool. But on the flip, right, um, I got a good friend, she lives in the Canary Islands, her name is Sophie De La Torre, and she's a killer. Look her up. She's amazing, great pen, you know, can produce, can sing the whole thing. The Canary Island is like this big, right? Like there's barely, there's not many people there. And she does everything by, you know, collaborating online. I mean, we're a product of you know the online situation. You know, he was in Singapore at the time. He sends me a track. I'm in Miami at the time working with one of my like good friends, and we wrote to one of his tracks, right? And that happens all the time. You guys know. You know what's up. I'm speaking, you know, I'm preaching to the choir. But the reality is like, you know, you know, let's let's take the internet out of the equation. I'm not sure how many creators or collaborators there are right here. And I'm not sure if you guys are doing that or not. I mean, surprisingly, we've we've given, you know, chats at like, you know, other colleges. And a lot of people don't collaborate, man. And that is wild to me. So like if there's like mad creatives here that are doing like crazy stuff, man, you guys gotta get together. You really do.
1: I want to pick up a thought on that, because I think part of it is, and y'all can tell me if this was you, but I'd imagine there comes a point where you become conscious of what you bring to the table. And you're talking about being in L.A. I, about a decade ago, I was, went to uh, Nashville, visit friends, and I had a friend who had had made a, uh, who had a hit, who had a number of hits with writing for women singers. And so it used to be it used to be insane. Nashville the hustle is as thick as it easily as it is in uh, LA. And I went I would go to that there were a handful of bars he would go drink in and every time he walked in there were so many women who were so out of his league. All came up and wanted to hang out and talk because they all wanted to be singers. And they all said they all wanted to songwrite with me, they all wanted to co-write, but they were all really t- Cued what Nashville does because in Nashville, you you cut a demo for your publisher. The publisher shops the demos uh, to managers. Managers then try to get them to artists. And so what they all wanted to do, the women all wanted to sing. The wanted to co-write and sing the demo, figuring that a manager or a publisher is going to say, "Not sure about the song, but who's that girl?" And so, but and. But this guy knew, you know, but he'd, he'd already found I have a niche. Here's a thing I can do, and this gave him his foot in the door. So one thing you think about is what's, what, what's the thing that you bring that someone else doesn't bring? And I'm going to give you one last thought here, because I know my own experience as a writer, but I'll bet you it's similar to yours. Is what you're going to find is you keep doing things, and then one day you realize that what, you, what was a hobby with a hobby with goals Becomes a gig. And that there and that you gotta keep track of what you want. Like there was like there were years where I was paying the bills teaching, but I was always clear in my mind, I'm a writer who teaches. And I and even at the point when I when I look at how the money works out, where the time goes, teaching was more was paying me more and cause, and using up more of my time than than writing, but I knew what I did. And so when a door opened. I was in a position to jump. And so part of the thing is you, and it's a challenge for everybody, like how bad do you want it? What'll you do to stay in the game until you can really actually find your way in? So,
2: What do you, uh, sorry. (laughs) What do y'all do with all those plaques? (laughs) Uh, We, honestly, you know, The first, uh, the first couple successes, it's like everything else, right? The first couple successes are like fantastic, like you want to like, like oh my god, I can't wait to get it. You know, the first placement, you get the first placement, you're like oh my god, I'm on this high, I'll I'll never get tired of this, you know, this feeling. And then, and then you jump to the next thing, like oh, you know, I want to get that plaque, then you get it. You know, it's just at the end of the day, it always goes back to like, man, I just want to write like a like a killer song. you know, and that's, that's me being, like, really based on it. Um, we hang them, bro. <laughs> that's what you do with them. <laughs> you know what I mean? What else, what else is there to do? Um, but, uh, but, yeah, like, yeah, you just write good records, man. It's all about the music, right? If you love music, you're Gucci. You're good. Have, have you had songs that, in your mind,
1: like, I accomplished, that, that y'all know you really accomplished something on it, even if it didn't sell the way that you thought it should? Absolutely, yeah. For example?
3: I mean, like, you know, we, we go to the studio all the time and then we write these songs and then sometimes songs are placed four years later, sometimes they're placed instantaneously, sometimes never or not yet, you know, and, and, but we're always just motivated by, by the music.
1: But <laughs> is, there, is there one that we should look for, the, the one that, like, you think, I love this song and I don't know why it didn't find the love that I think it deserves?
3: I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I really don't think we look at, at it in that way. Yeah,
2: yeah no, we, we, uh, we had a, we had a, we recently, just recently had a, um, an artist project. We were signed to Universal and we have uh, records. Um, the band is called, well, our duo is called Wapea, W A P E A. And those are like three records that we like, it was something different. You know, it's different than kind of what we've done like on our, you know, on our writing production thing. And we have like special places for it. Like there's one called Basilar which is really cool. It's got like um, a really dope like guitar riff and, and riff and it has like this like Afro beat vibe. But like that is, I guess, you know, we didn't, you know, go platinum or go gold. We didn't sell a ton of records, but it was really fun to do. Yeah. And yeah, and we released it, so.
0: Hello. My name is Aiden.
3: Um, I'm a songwriter too. And I'm really curious. I guess my question is kind of two-parted, but the two questions are sisters, in that one, I'm wondering how you go about like workshopping your songs, um, and two, how does one go from, you know, I'm a college student who writes good songs and
4: enjoys being a songwriter, to I'm getting paid to be a songwriter.
3: OK, so workshopping. So how do we go about improving our songs, the process? Um, I mean, so a lot of our songs are written collaboratively, and these days we write a lot of songs with the artist in the room, which is a position we fought long and hard to be in. So a lot of times the the drive to improve the song, you know, it comes from both directions. It comes from us or it comes from the artist, and we just kind of, we iterate. So there are songs where, you know, we nail it. Like, so for example, Troy, uh, that, that song was done pretty much in five hours uh, with the melody, the lyric, and the rough production. The production was then you know, went through several iterations with a co-production team from Australia called Slumps. And then, you know, that was a very smooth process. On on the flip, like right now we're currently working on some projects where um, it's, it's, it's taking us a while more. And, you know, there's a lot of um, inputs from the artist and from our own end and from the label. And everyone's just trying to iterate until we find, you know, what it is and we just nailed that particular song i think last week uh that was like a from writing to th- this point that was like august right september october november december January. five month process yeah just iteration after iteration and you know that's that's just it you know we get feedback we process it and then or we wake up with a song the next day and then what we loved last night we don't love as much in the day and you know that's just what it is
1: does Does success, your your history of success, change sort of the number of people who suddenly want to be involved? I I was wondering if like when you, with some of the earlier artists you worked with, some of the people who you already had success with, that it was a reasonably efficient process, whereas if somebody has a feeling this is or could be big, you suddenly have more and more people who want to be a part of the conversation. Does that change at all?
3: Um, I no, I don't think there's a rule of thumb. I think it really varies situation to situation. Everyone has a different team around them and all that.
1: Yeah.
4: Hello everyone, how you doing? Um, I've been hearing a lot of music production, artist stuff, but we really, y'all haven't really talked about the business side, uh, given that you guys have like an eight year resume together. By the way, I don't go here, just saying. Um <laughs> Uh, I w- I was wondering, like, is there any one good experience business wise that stuck out to y'all as a duo or even individually? And then also, what's a bad experience business wise, individually and as a duo that you could give back to these kids and tell them, like, look out for this, or do this, or Google that? Or and, and on top of that, it's been almost a decade for y'all, so y'all got together back then. Times have changed. It's twenty twenty. So, just wondering.
2: Um, like. A good choice. A good choice um, was, uh, you know, to make a decision to to like to send the email, man. Um, to kind of have, you know, have the courage to and the resourcefulness to find, you know, to use your resources like Google, um, you know, and things like that, and actually search for the ANRs of every company um, and search, man, and literally. Cold, like, I'll give you one prime example. He, he's now a friend of ours. His name is Shao Money. He signed Joiner Lucas. He, s- did, he signed 50 Cent. You know, he, he did all that stuff, okay? Big, you know, A&R. At the time, he was the senior vice president of A&R at, uh, at Epic. Um, we did a um, game-changer music seminar. He came, spoke at our seminar. But this is a guy that we didn't know from anyone. And we sent a cold email and said, hey, look, we're the swaggernauts, we've done this, 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 and that. And we'd love to sit down in your office, play, press play on a couple records. We think we have something for you. And we got a response, man. Simple. So do the numbers, man. You didn't do the math. It's a numbers game, right? If you send a thousand emails, you know, you get a percent you know return on that or whatever, you know, you get a couple, you know, twenty, thirty emails from the thousand or a hundred or you know, three hundred, whatever email you send, that's a win. So that's you know be you know courageous and do that Um, negatively realize that as you progress in the industry circles get smaller and smaller you'll start knowing people as you get up and it's it's all the same people man right so treat people how you want them to treat you know how you want to be treated you know, bottom line, you know, there's going to be moments where you're going to have to do deals, and it's going to be, you know, 1000 thousand, two thousand $2,000, whatever, maybe a percentage point here or there. Don't fixate on those things. Fixate on the relationship and the years that you're going to build with those individuals that you're going to be working with for the rest of, you know, of your time in the industry. That's so important.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, I'd imagine that thinking in terms of not the dollars I can make right now with... But it's like, is it worth rattling this person's cage badly enough to end up shutting this down so that I don't get to make more money later?
3: Exactly. Yeah.
4: Hi, my name is Ethan, um, and I, I'm a songwriter here, and I produce music. And I, w- I just wanted to ask you guys, like, when you are writing a song with someone, um, how do you, like, discipline yourself to, like, stay inspired about it? Like, when you're when you're looking at it and you're like, I've done enough to this f- for now, and you really, since you've done so much, you really can't see how you're gonna finish it yet. Like, how do you discipline yourself to like, stay inspired? Because I know for a fact that it's discipline. You can't just do it all in one night, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Um,
3: I mean, it's like, is like a muscle, right? Uh, it's like going to the gym when you don't feel like it. So, and it's it's never all, always awesome, you know, like sometimes, the artist's personality is not something that you normally work with, or you know, a whole bunch of other reasons, and you know, it's easy to just throw in the towel. But it's you know, it's just about treating it like, okay, fine, this may not be it, but maybe if I push through, we'll make something, and maybe the next song will be it. You know, um, we always have a lot of songs in the fire at one time, so we never feel like everything hangs on just this song or another. And you know, it's just, you know, just being professional, man. That applies to any job.
2: Yeah, like to to you know, just kind of um, answer it in a different way, um, like so. When you're writing your record, right? And and this is this is also an answer for for my guy right here. Um, yeah, um, f- yeah. Uh, f- it's a it's a feeling, right? So like as you do it more and more, you start like in the session, you'll you'll understand. You know, whatever style you decide to write, or you know, if you like to write different styles like we do, there's always... the the, the only the the one thing that you're always going to find is this there's a feeling and i know it sounds super cliche but it's the it's the most honest answer i can give you because once you start hitting and you become consistent that consistency aligns with a feeling that you feel and you know like yeah okay yeah this is it this is this is this is right and so like once you dial into that feeling of of what it feels and and the best way I can explain what that feeling is, is truth. You know, whatever truth is. Like, so for example, um, I, and this is a little pro tip for you guys, y'all can take it. Um, I hate using Rhyme Brain or any rhyming, anything online ever. I don't ever write with Rhyme Brain or, you know, rhymewhatever.com because the moment you do that, it gets you in this vicious cycle of trying to find words that rhyme. And before you know it, you forget to make a song that makes sense. And so now you have a ton of lines that don't make any sense. It's not good. So don't ever do that. <laughs> I want I, I want to hop in there just a
0: little bit. Use the word stay inspired. A lot of good songs come from inspiration. More good songs come from hard work. Like sometimes you just got to sit down and do the work. And if you wait until like, oh, I'm feeling it, right? Because they have a thing booked and they show up at the studio. doesn't matter if they're feeling it. They got to write something then, right? And... Some of them are better than others, but you just got to get used to, like, I got to do something now.
3: Um, so I saw this meme, a uh, songwriter meme, the other day, and I, I'm, I'm sad I didn't get a flash it because it's pretty awesome. But so every session is U-shaped, right, where the Y is your mood and the X is time. So when you start and you land on something, like, oh, my God, my God, this is awesome. And then it dips. It's like, oh, my God, I suck. I can't, I can't do any of this. Like this is this is shit. Like no, no, nothing's happening. And then by the end, hopefully, when you push through, you get back to the you where oh oh wow, we made this. This is a, this is amazing. So you always have to push through until the feeling happens. And you know, just, just elaborate on that. Um, you know, uh, I think the reason why we work so well as a team is that we um, we have different strengths. So for me, I'm a very linear person, and I always I'm very solutions oriented, like engineer. So like I want to get to the solution. Okay, this makes sense. This this is good. Like, this is technically correct. But then he's usually the one, if it's not right, if it doesn't ring true, if it's just a bunch of clever lines and flashy melodies, he'll be the one to say, okay, this
4: is clever and flashy, but it's still garbage. (laughs) Let's let's, let's continue to work it. Um, Back on the discipline thing, like, I'm saying, like, sometimes I fixate too much. Like, when you get really into a song and that feeling that you say, like, I'm really feeling it and I can't stop like, obsessing, you know, and that's what caused me to stay up to, like, 6 in the morning, you know, like, like for yeah, I'm saying, like you, like, you guys are at the studio, and then you go home, but, like, my studio is my home, oh, it's yeah. like, how do you escape, you know?
2: I got a studio in my house, he's got a studio in his, <laughs> yeah, totally get you, dude, 100%, um, yeah, man, Um dude, you, you gotta turn it off, bro, as simple as that, like, you write the record, I understand, you know, that's not the answer you want to hear, but the reality is, you know, you got to turn it off, bro. You got to turn it off. Give yourself a little break. Come back to it again the next day. Listen to it again with fresh ears. And if you want to dive in again, you dive in again. But trust that, right? Because that's what's going to get you where you need to go. I mean, that's that's it.
1: I got to say, I had a a great lesson along this years ago from my dad. At one point when I was, when I was going through grad school and I was talking to my dad about something I was writing about a paper and that I'm like, I think I'm almost there. I just got to do this. I said like, if it's a diamond, it's a diamond now, and you can. If it's shit, you can polish it up more, but you just get shinier shit. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, there's that. So, I mean,
4: but you're the only one who knows.
2: Um, with you guys being like successful on such an international level, um, is there anything popping off in the Arabic scene right now? I'll be hundred percent with you, man. I haven't really been paying attention. That's the truth. Um, you know, you mu- you probably will be able to put me onto something. I don't know. Uh, we are working with an Indian I mean an Indian artist. Um so she doesn't she's she's from um, gosh actually she was born in Singapore, right? Indian descent and she's awesome. Look her up, her name is her name is Pragathi Guru. Um super dope. Ridiculously awesome, great voice. Um but on the Arabic scene I'm 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 not on it. So put, put me on, man, after the after the thing. Let me know what's let me know what's popping.
4: Yeah, so I'm looking at your board, and you guys have done, like, a lot of really cool things. Um, so the next five years, like, what does that look for you guys? Like, what are your goals, and, like, what are the things that are motivating you guys to keep going? Because, like, this is cool, but, like, what's next?
3: Well, you know, uh, and I'm glad you asked that, because, uh, you know, I was just thinking when the plaques question, like, you know, well, do we sleep with them, do we shower with them? So after you're done sleeping and showering your plaques, what's next, right? Um and I think... Uh, yeah, for, for us, it's really building, because I think one of the things that we've always really enjoyed is nurturing young talent. You know, in, in LA, um, the Game Changers Music Seminar that Giovanni briefly talked about earlier, we put that on, and we actually kind of lost money on it, but we did it because we felt it was, it was an important thing that needed to be done. So, um, you know, right now our focus, I think, is on top of, you know, continuing to work creatively, uh, in whatever capacity, uh, I think it's, it's uh, we really feel the, the, the urge to, you know, give back and nurture young creatives and take young creatives under our wing and hopefully build something bigger and better.
1: Do you all think about doing something under your own name, or putting out your own music?
2: Um, I think, so, uh, the Swaggernauts, we kind of kicked around the idea of doing that, um, but we, we realized that, um, you know, we wanted to kind of make, like, you know, We've built that, and we want people to know that that's our writing and production arm. And that's what that is. So when we signed with Universal a couple of years ago, we decided to create Wapea, the um, the duo. And that was great. It's kind of like what Pharrell did with NERD and Neptune's, you know, and that thing. Um, and so, so yeah. So actually, you know, to answer that question a little further, um, we're taking on other roles as well. So. He's he's uh he's gonna be an A and R. He's taking a position with uh, with Sony China. Um, what is it? Uh,
3: yeah. It's a uh, head of A and R International. So,
2: there you go. <laughs> and together we're we're um we're gonna start a you know management publishing arm, you know from from the things that we're doing. And so we're we're branching more into a, a business focused a business mindset. So you know, we're excited to meet you because this is the future. Um, so so uh, the courageous response that I gave you, uh, please reach out to us on our, you know, our Instagram handle, The Swaggernauts, um, shoot us, you know, music, you know, we'll collaborate. Uh, we collaborate with a bunch of people. Um, a point being a good friend of ours, Dave Marcus, we met him at uh, UCLA at one of these co- you know, talks and, and we invited him to the, st- the studio, he, you know, He's a great guitarist. We worked on two records with him, you know, and we didn't know him, you know. We said, come on to the studio. So that's how we like to work. We love to work with the fresh young minds like you guys. Um, And yeah, so hit us up. Let's work.
1: All right, folks, I think we're in a good place. So I think let's go ahead and wrap it up. Thank you all. Thank Thank you, Alex. Thank Thank you so much.